Hi, and thank you for listening to today's episode of Fail and Grow. Fail and Grow is a podcast for you interested about growth and profitability with nice people who is decent enough to share their minds about their expertise and also their fails and their learnings and their growth along the journey. With me, Vilma. I'm one of the co-founders to VLOXQ, Next Generation CPQ Tool. We are seamless integrated with your favorite serum like HubSpot, Lime, Upsells, Salesforce. And we have a huge passion for increasing sales efficiency and to make it easier for your customer to understand the value your service and product brings. So it becomes easier for the customer to say yes. And today, it's actually another guest of mine that have asked for this one. He's asked for you, Ola Sars. And you are, to me, a very cool person. You have founded four companies within the music industry, which is quite competitive. And one of them, Beats, was acquired by Apple and transformed in today's Apple Music. Wow, I would say. And also co-founded Pacemaker, the world's first DJ-driven music platform. And I can really understand that it's no wonder that you were named to be Billboard's International Power Playlist this year. And for you who isn't in the music industry, like me, and didn't know either what this was before, it is a prize that Billboard gives everywhere a year with recognized high-achieving music executives outside of the US with the goal to honor and acknowledge the work you do to strengthen the global music. So now you are a co-founder at soundtrack your brand and you co-founded it together with Spotify and I think it's really interesting that you call it a content-driven SaaS B2B solution. Welcome Ola, it's a true pleasure to have you here today. Thank you Ulma, it's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful, wonderful, well, let's agree on that. <laughs> so soundtrack your brand with your own words, what, what do you do? Uh, we do music streaming for B2B, it's that simple. Background music in the digital age. Nice and I actually of course I had to do a bit of a homework before recording this today and you could actually see the increase of revenue depending on which music and when. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's really interesting. Well, I, the simple Swedish dry version is you walk into a bar, the music is great, yeah. you stay and you take 10 drinks. You walk into a bar, the music is terrible, you walk to another bar. Mm. It's that simple, right? It's that simple. Mm. Then there's a long, sophisticated, pretentious, data-driven answer, but we'll take that another day. <laughs> it's a, it's an after-work po- uh, pod, right? <laughs> yeah, we can do the, the technical version another time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that's really cool. And how come you uh, entered into music? Is Has music always been a big passion for you? Or? Uh, absolutely. Mm. Um, and uh, it's based on, you know, the notion that some of my friends were working with their passion and being able to make a living and pay the rent by, and I was working with really boring stuff uh, that I made a lot of money mm. instead. And so the compromise was, imagine if I could work with something that I love and actually um, could survive and, and hence I moved into the music industry but obviously it wasn't only a romantic story it was also a calibrated timing because mm. the industry was changing right in front of us at that time mm. and you are a part of that change I would say as well uh, for sure I mean yes uh, we're, we're all part of the change who've built new technology who has supported the, the digitization of production, digitization of distribution, and digitization of um, consumption. So everything basically went digital at one instance. And mm. and um, the industry just completely changed. And it's actually still changing. Yeah. Um, we tend to think it's, it's all over, but it's just begun. Mm. 
And uh, what at the moment do you feel most exciting about the continuously changing part, you would say? I think the uh, one of the most interesting progressions right now is the move from just music to audio. Uh, obviously, it's this is really about audio and it's about what's coming into our ears and affecting our brain. Mm. Um, and uh, audio is bigger than music. Obviously, the Spotify's extension into podcasts are a very clear example of that. Mm. But sure. it goes much further and broader than that. Mm. And today we share an after work. What do you prefer to have in your glass during an after work? Today you have coffee and water, I would say. To right, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's lunchtime so, uh, <laughs> and I still have some work to do. So coffee is fine. But um, my, my favorite, favorite drink, imagine being later on a Friday, having had a great week, not having a big schedule ahead of you for mm. Friday night and just going to relax. It's, it's a... It's a cocktail actually called Picante de la Casa that I've learned to drink um, at the Soho house in New York uh, and that sounds very <laughs> pretentious as well saying that <laughs> I, I hear that but it's the truth I'm, I'm oh, sorry like but it is it, like it's, it's 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 we don't have a, to be that Swedish uh, it's an amazing cocktail and I've I what does it taste like for those who it's actually like tequila that I don't like or it's mezcal that I don't okay. like and that's the funny thing about it uh, and it has a really nice blend of lime and coriander and chili fruit and uh, mezcal or tequila. And it's just like the best drink in the world. Mm, sounds really good. Yeah, and it's not that easy to order because uh, only kind of sophisticated bartenders know it. So yeah. you feel like kind of an asshole every time <laughs> you ask for it. So I, I usually don't ask for it. So now I'm putting the whole world in trouble. But it's it's worth it. You know, this, the quest for the Picante de la Casa yeah. starts now. Starts now. And you can you can uh, start to ask the bartender of the, the different ingredients. And then you can like... A bit polite. Do you know about this? You well, can Google you it. You can learn. You can Google it and you can do it <laughs> at home so you don't put anyone in a bad spot. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, thank you for sharing. And I'm also super curious about your funniest work-related fuck-up that you want to share with us today. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of them. I don't know if they're that funny, though. Time. A lot of them is more like almost crying <laughs> when I think of them. But I have one um, that's actually not that old. So... Um, Here's the context. Uh, uh, we're running a banker-driven process. I can't really say what it is, but it's okay. it's um, U.S.-based investment banks involved, mm -hmm. and there's a multiple of high-profile investors, institutional high-profile investors. Um, I know one of the institutional private investors that I'm actually engaging with through the investment bank really well, mm -hmm. and and I respect him. He respects me, and we get along. Uh, both professionally and on the private life. And we have a, a meeting set up and he's now uh, acting from a huge US fund, which he represents. And I come into the meeting and I think this meeting is only me and him. Uh, that's I'm stressed out and I thought it was just a follow-up mm -hmm. on, on stuff. And it's just him on the meeting. It's obviously a Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. And there's no no um, uh, there's no visuals for some reason, and we start, and I spend ten minutes completely killing the investment bank that represents us. On what a terrible job they they're doing, and how pissed off I am, and I'm like 
completely tearing like the open team. up for a friend more or less yeah so, wow. or like yeah mm. a friend uh, slash at mm. this point an investor mm. and he's mm. um unexpectedly quiet because he's he's trying to break in mm. <laughs> but it's just to save me because obviously the whole investment <laughs> bank team are on the call wow. listening to it wasn't 10 minutes that's over exaggerating no. it was probably so. <laughs> it was probably just one minute <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was um, a really tough comeback for them for me mm. for the whole process <laughs> well I, I mean from some thank you for sharing first of all and from so many angles you know I don't even know if it's funny no obviously <laughs> <laughs> We, we should have needed that your favorite it's just like that. a very nervous laugh <laughs> yeah exactly it's like th- this is something you do not know you don't want to think about one more time yourself you don't want anyone to know it and i didn't break and the, are... i didn't break the law in any way no. um no one I, died. I, I didn't mean to insult anyone personally it was mm. absolutely not my intent which i think you should never do it was just a really big fuck up from my side yeah and and maybe from a bit from their perspective too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be that frustrated, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, it's only work. It's like people, they probably do a great job. It was a complicated situation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And is it something that this specific thing has 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 taught you, or is just to? I mean, <coughs> the obvious. Ask if someone else in the meeting. I mean, that that's a simple one. But I, I mean, we can dig a little bit deeper here, maybe. <laughs> I don't think there's a, a deep... I mean, just I'm very, very keen on in general respecting other people, yeah. whoever they are. And even if you think they're, you know, like, you know, if it's an asshole, mm-hmm. like still, there's probably a reason or, you know, mm-hmm. probably they think the same thing about you mm-hmm. for some reason. You just like, that's really sacred to me. Yeah. And it's only it's only work. I mean, it's you can't really... I mean, it's not personal. No. So that's kind of the general rules I go by, and this just completely violated my rules. It wasn't a personal assault. And you're like, you're like values, it feels like. Yeah, it's just, it was that just, wasn't you. It wasn't, I mean, uh, I was a little bit pissed off, so I think I got emotional. <laughs> and that maybe be, might be the overarching kind of message here. Don't ever get emotional in, in business, because it, ne- it never works. It just, you, you, you try to leave. I know it's hard, but you try to leave them at home. Yeah. do you have a, a hack for someone that is quite emotional engaged with her job more or less every day me <laughs> as soon as you feel your emotions uh, starting to talk to you on the inside and mm. uh, get the hell out of there mm. uh, if you know you can't control them mm. T- t- turn off the call walk out of the meeting go take a you know a deep breath and a walk and some fresh air mm. Go take a picante de la casa. Picante de la casa. Come back and then mm. take a half a step back and think about it's only work. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not that important. It's not that important. Well, thank you for the insights and, uh, and, the, and the really, really, yeah, quite a fuck up, I would say. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Big one. Today, we're going to talk about something that's very passionate for me and you. I know that. Uh, product that growth it's also some uh, i would say a bit of a buzzword it isn't a buzzword but all those new words within sauce i think people feel like oh not another one uh, so if we start there product-led growth what is it in your sense and why is this important i saw a really fun tweet the other day yeah. <laughs> uh, that from some SaaS professional in the u.s i think she's like uh, 
PLG, what the fuck, it's only free trials, what's the fuss about? <laughs> and I can't, and I can't, I kind of like that because yeah. I, I sympathize with her. So I'm really allergic to all of these, you know. So we uh, can just end the recording here. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> But preview. at once in my life, I, I pushed the cynical Ola Sars and ironic and, you know, and actually kind of, you know, took a half a step back and said like, no, you know what? I've, I've actually spent more than a year and a half reading up uh, and it's much more. It's much, much more. It's very easy to uh, understand the principle, but it's damn hard to understand in depth and how to do it. Mm. And then to execute. And what have you learned this far? Uh, if, if one should start implement this for real, not just have freemium. Right, it's so much more. It's, um, it's how you think about building your organization, how you think about building what first, meaning sequencing in your organization. It's how you put different mandates and responsibilities in an organization than we're used to. So the organizational aspect is huge. It's different type of organization. I've never done it before this way. It's different. Could you give some examples? Right. For example, the product team and engineering team becomes the central commercial function. That's, that explains it all. What? Am I a commercial function? You know, your CTO looks you in the eye. Yeah, yeah you are the commercial function. And I can go on for a half an hour about that. So, but I think that gives a, kind of a, a, a bit more humbling aspect to that. It's quite different. And then, obviously, um, you have to think about your product in terms of self-service, which is, you know, that, that's a no-brainer, right? But it's a very different notion, specifically from historically trained SaaS professionals who are used to talking funnel all day and sales economics, right? It's different. It's completely different. You, one of the rules of PLG is hire sales last. Because as soon as you bring sales in, they fuck up the PLG strategy if you bring them in too early. No, I mean, it is. And so, uh, but if you bring them in in the right sequence, they're the, they're the perfect kind of fuel on the engine. And when would it say you know that you have that? Because I would also guess that then you have some PLG that actually works. Right. I mean, point? you have to do it. Okay, I'll keep this short. So... PLG, one oversimplification of it is about bringing in relevant potential customers with as low touch as possible into the product to the aha moment without humans involved. Mm. So there's a very sophisticated response to that, but that's if you say that. And then you kind of call and you, you want to bring them into user experience uh, and a usage pattern that you know Uh, brings out the best in your product, hence they fall in love or at least like the product enough to stay, to continue consuming it through different sequences and through different levels of engagement until it's actually as good enough for them that they will stay and pay. So, and that is called a product qualified lead, a PQL. And that is kind of, okay, I'm using the product, I've done 100 of these things. Uh, right, great. This this p potential customer is actually adopting the product, so we're qualifying the pro the 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 potential customer through product engagement rather than marketing, right? So when you 
drive as many as possible to the PQL. And this is kind of how weird it is because that's actually product doing that, mm. not sales. Mm. Then sales comes in. Mm. So basically you're selling to someone who has already test driven your car and has fallen in love with that Tesla. Mm. And you tell a salesperson, would you rather be selling to that person who's actually come back falling in love with the car or just trying to do it when they walk into the dealership right away with, you know, discounts or whatnot. No, you want. Yeah, so you ask the whole team, and they're like, "Of course, I want to work over Mm. there in the funnel. Mm. I want to move into the 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 product." Mm. And then then you tell them, "Okay, you are actually not talking to people outside the product. You will be talking to them when they are test driving the car, or when they've test driven it and want to buy it and keep driving." Mm. Mm. That's a really nice position to sell something in. But it sounds super tricky to go there. Yeah, it's it's really hard, and it's uh, and then everything else you got to do. I mean. You, you obviously also have to do everything you do otherwise in a company or have a product roadmap and, you know, upsell path, expansion sell path and all that. But it starts with minimizing uh, the product to a self-service initial experience that turns the, the customer into a really, really strong prospect. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So first of all, you started to change your organization, I guess. I started with... Changing my organization, yes. I started with... So there's a funny story about Soundtrack. Uh, A lot of the people at Soundtrack, including myself, come from the consumer side. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing B2C business. Mm -hmm. So we're not, you know, trained B2B SaaS professionals. Mm -hmm. We didn't even start the company as a B2B SaaS company. We started as a music service for business. Mm -hmm. We, you know, didn't even relate to SaaS, you know, uh, culture or theory. Uh, and then we started relating to B2B SaaS culture and theory, and we did everything the wrong way uh, because we started you know, building sales and mm. funnels and Salesforce and everything. Mm. And then we realized, hey, you know what? What we were doing on the consumer side was actually pretty interesting. Mm. We were having customers try before you buy. Uh, <laughs> we were doing it in the millions mm. with low friction Mm. Um, intake mm. and then PLG and like hey here's some people writing about B2B SaaS like we like we built companies in the consumer side before so that's kind of what got me into it so we went went in started retraining ourselves from B2C to B2B mm. realized that that was the wrong way to go let's go back to our B2C roots and but with the extension and the framework of PLG which was kind of a became a bible to us because it's bigger than I mean in, in consumer business, you don't have an expansion route. You have different types of marketing approaches and so forth. So mm. it's very different. But the general principle was much closer to B2C than B2B. Okay. And what else would you say is a difference in your product today or maybe on your journey on PLG than it were before? So organization obviously mandates uh, what the different uh, parts of the organization uh, are responsible for and the ability to build a much smaller and more scalable organization at the end of the day. So, so that's, I think that's the core of it. And then we're obviously investing much more product and engineering than we would have done otherwise because mm. it's all product at the end of the day. It, everything else is important, but it all starts with the product. So marketing teams are much smaller uh, in our world. Sales teams are much smaller, much more connected to to uh, customer success and putting a m- much more clear commercial responsibility to both support and success, but in product and, and beyond kind of PQL or actually beyond becoming a paying customer. 
other things that change are the the way that you pitch the company, obviously, and uh, uh, how what investors understand this. Mm. Um, so you 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 basically have to change everything, and not not a lot of investors in Europe actually understand this, to be honest, because there's a B two B SaaS investment uh, cluster who are all about net retention and sales funnel. They haven't gone the course yet of of PLG or actually self-service. You can start the investor course. PLG. No, but I mean, but they they're smart <laughs> people, so I'm overexcited. I mean, they get, but they don't they don't know how to value the company. Mm. Interesting. And how should it be valued if you compare it to a, how they normally evaluate your company or a B two B SaaS selling with the, the classic sales funnel and everything? You should first of all, B two B SaaS investors, specifically in Europe and also in the US, are very focused on enterprise. That's kind of the first thing. In enterprise, there are enterprise companies uh, applying PLG frameworks for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. but it's mostly done in high velocity SMB, mm-hmm. um, or actually all the way to small business mm-hmm. like Square, for example, or Shopify, uh, Expensify, mm-hmm. Slack. Uh, so those are the examples that usually used to show up. Um, so they're focused on the enterprise kind of approach and, and that very quickly leads them to funnel evaluation and net retention on customer. So expansion driven and retention driven. Of course, uh, an enterprise client is going to stay longer if they've spent a year buying it and you've done multiple integrations if you've bought them dinner 10 times. So and then but in this instance, you need to analyze much more like a consumer subscription service with high velocity cohort analysis, uh, accepting higher churn rates Mm -hmm. in general, but requiring much more in the intake funnel Mm -hmm. in terms of efficiency and growth. So you should analyze the intake funnel separately and the efficiency in the intake funnel and then look at the behavior of the customer cohorts afterwards. Mm -hmm. Is uh, PLG, is it for all B2B SaaS company, I would say, depending, uh, non-depending on your selling to SMB or enterprise or whatever? Can everyone uh, implement this in some way? Uh, PLG pros claim so. Uh, when I kind of listen to all the smart people who are doing it and, you know, uh, the people, there's a bunch of communities. Is this something you, something but, you but, but for me, in my simple world, it's, um, I think the... the the control question you need to ask yourself is, is your product easy enough to self-onboard? That, so that's not the whole truth. So we are back to the freemium. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, not, I mean, I know. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with her in one instance, but I mean, that's kind of what you, what you need to ask yourself. Imagine trying to apply PLG to a very sophisticated enterprise sales product initially mm-hmm. where you need code to integrate. For example, I don't, you know, it's really hard getting anyone to kind of experience the product first. You need to start comparing specs and stuff mm-hmm. and having meetings and showing how we're. So there's a great market for that. But but I think the, the general kind of um, facilitating question is, could a customer actually onboard and try the product without talking to a human? Mm-hmm. We are thinking, why I'm asking this is because we're thinking a lot about this ourselves. Mm-hmm. And since we have to do a configuration and we mm-hmm. often build several integrations or of course add someone that we already have. But uh, I, I do think that PLG is for us. But maybe when you have started a POC with a company, mm. you can you can do like upsell within the product or make it easier for everyone to use it or minimize support, uh, for example, something like that. So I think uh, if you sh- if you have like more an enterprise selling product, then you should 
uh, try to, like, could we do this? What of this could we do to making sure that your product is first and not that you need a big organization helping customers everywhere because I truly believe that customer wants to help themselves. Mm. No, I, no, and that's why, you know, I was oversimplifying kind of how, how I think about it. Mm. Everyone who is, you know, talking about this says, yes, anyone can apply. You can like challenge yourself. Because it's yeah. not really about, so back to her comment, yeah. it's only free trial. <laughs> and it, she didn't even say it was self-service free trial, it's a mm. free trial. Um, but the, what, if you try to respond to that no it's more sophisticated plg is actually not so much about the product itself it's about being user centric which sounds like no shit (laughs) but 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 if you think about what in user centric means in the context of plg theory it means that when you're selling you're not selling to the buying organization in the company the procurement department or the it department the whole thing about plg is that the users mm. uh, the people on the floor or you know the developers or anything start using a product mm. and it starts spreading and this is the slack example exactly. and and you know they sort of like i, I want i don't want to have this thing that it is pushing pushing down my throat i'm using this just yeah. fix it so we can use it mm. because then you actually have from a user centric perspective created the adoption and they are, the product is so good, so they don't want to use the other messaging service. They've, mm. They're already kind of adopted and, and you know, mm. they've already started using it with their colleagues. Mm. Really hard time for IT to start a procurement process. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, I'm curious, what to, how do you know what to measure inside your product? Well, I mean, that's, that's an ongoing question through the whole driving your business, even if you're PLG or whatnot. I mean... Uh, but I think the difference between PLG or kind of or the focus focal point of PLG is obviously the user centricity, meaning how it's adopted, what usage patterns you have on the people adopting it, mm-hmm. and how those usage patterns actually can lead to viral growth um, or you know uh, engaging more users mm-hmm. in that. So that's obviously central to user centric adoption and mm-hmm. growth. So, so we really look at that. And I, I actually heard a really good investor the other day in a meeting. I was listening to one of the banks here in, in Stockholm uh, doing kind of the Nordic SaaS report uh, during a breakfast meeting. And there was a Dane in the room uh, who, <laughs> who was just funny. He's like, I'm, I'm going to be the Dane in the room here. And he raised his hand and they're always more direct than Swedes. He said, I don't care about any, and he's a pretty big investor, I don't care about any of these net retention, uh, financial indicators when you guys look at companies. I only look at usage. Mm. So if you're looking at a B2B company and you're looking at you know contract funnels and stuff like that, like contracted value, mm. he's like, fuck that. I'm, I, show me how many are using the product mm. because that's going to tell me how, how the adoption rate will look and the retention rate will look and how how attractive your product is in the market, not how good your sales team is. Mm. It's how good it is. Because the sales team, I can fix for you, mm. <laughs> but not the product. Yeah, and that was very clear-sighted. Uh, and that's a typical mm. consumer approach to software companies yeah. because it's all about Mao Wow that we were trained in. Um, but now they're applying that to SaaS, mm. or sorry, to B2B, mm. which is a no-brainer. But yeah. everyone in there was like shocked. <gasps> usage what's that you know 
<laughs> and he said it just after someone had had a long rant about, you know, uh, adjusted contract value. How do you how do you audit that? Just get a lot of dates. <laughs> I mean, it was very so refreshing. On. Yeah. How many? And he just asked, how many of your customers are actually d- deeply using your product that you actually sold to some IT department? And everyone within. How South many seats knows. are active? Yeah. How important that is. Everyone knows it. Yeah. Of course. Interesting. You mentioned before you... Uh, the sales guy doesn't care because no. she or he got her commission. Yes, depending on, on the commission. Uh, oh, okay, course, I'm, a, but, yeah, I'm just taking right. the old bad of course, example. Of course, yeah. just trying to make a joke here. Yeah, yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to your society questions. Mm. Yeah? I'll try, I'll try. But do you recommend, so if you're super interested within PLG, uh, someone that you should follow or read some books or whatever? I mean, you seem quite nerdy and knows a lot about it. So except, except you, obvious, somewhere else. You... I mean, there's a, um, there's a really good Slack channel that's open that's Ooh. called the plg <laughs> PL, uh, product-led growth yeah. um and you go to productledgrowth.com i think it is mm. but you can find it yeah like and it's a community on slack probably you can just google it yeah PLG slack. yeah mm-hmm. and uh, i hang out there mm-hmm. uh, and nice. listen to smart people who actually do stuff uh and not write so much about it then there i would recommend if there's one read i actually have everyone coming into soundtrack um, read this and it's an easy ebook from OpenView mm-hmm. which is an investor um, so OpenView VC they published a, an ebook called Build and it's like 50 pages or something about PLG it's really good mm-hmm. thank you for sharing is there something else you want to um, yeah whatever about PLG something to sum it all up with before we end today no, no, not really. I just think uh, I just think it's refreshing to um, think about B2B SaaS has so many uh, attractive aspects, right? When you come from the consumer side, you see it. the combination of the stuff that we took for granted in the consumer side with the amazing expansion, retention opportunities in B2B. I think that's where it is. That's kind of trying to adopt these two the B2C and the B2B world into this new hybrid. That That's what it's all about. And I think B2B SaaS companies should perhaps look at recruiting people from the consumer side, high-velocity software companies on that side uh, and mixing it up a little bit. I thought about that so many times about, about marketing. And mm. I would say product-led growth is the next marketing. So, so why not mix it up? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, and... Just for one last example, I mean, for example, we're moving from a first web to app PLG uh, application, which isn't great. I mean, you sign up like the classical online, um, you know, low friction on it, but then you really need to get to an app to consume, which is really broken. So we're moving now to app first, which is first call to action is download the app because that's how people try products and mm. that's that is the superior product experience and then you move everything in it so i think and that you know how many consumer companies have not worked with download the app i mean whatsapp or snapchat or they don't even have you know their apps <laughs> whatever, app. <laughs> whatever they don't even have you go try to go to the web on slack mm. they, they keep pushing you back to the apps mm. right um, which is the right thing to do because mm. app experience is better than web experience. If you're talking about like a user-centric model, web experiences are required for some 
mm. types of businesses. But if it is an app experience, then I think uh, kind of there's a lot of people on the consumer side who've worked with like maximizing um, CPI rates and uh, which, which is cost per installation on app side. Mm. Super interesting. We could, um, I could yeah. go on for hours asking yeah. you questions, but uh, uh, we'll wrap this up for today. Uh, I've at least got uh, several ideas, my own, and I hope the audience as well. And I hope you had a good time talking about uh, your passionate uh, topic as well. And now it's time to answer a question that an earlier podcast has recorded for you. Mm-hmm. And it's Matthias Tulin. From GetAccept, one of the co-founders, and he also the one who asked for you in this podcast. So we'll listen to what Matthias asked, and I haven't heard it myself yet. Oh, so okay. it's very interesting. Hi Ola, I hope you're having a great time with Vilma. So I wonder when was the first time you felt like a real entrepreneur, and I also wonder. What's your drive, your passion about building companies? I'm curious to know more about that. Have a great day. Bye. First of all, and this sounds cliche, but honestly, I've never really related to being an entrepreneur. It's I've been I think I've been doing it for too long, honestly. Uh, so it's it was not very fancy or cool when I started being an entrepreneur. And that sounds like humble bragging, I know, but it's not. It's not. I'm like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, you know. I don't think about And I I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. It's great. Entrepreneurial culture is awesome because it's so productive. Like it it helps like teaching kids that being an entrepreneur is possible is the best thing that's happening here in the Nordics. And people do that, like take off your hat and maybe I should be doing it more um, to... um, I do talk about it sometimes and about how he, how what why it was why I was able to do it so many times and fail in Sweden and still be here because that's Sweden allows you to fail better than some other countries or some other systems. Mm-hmm. So the answer to Matthias is uh, yes, I know I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't really think about uh, it, it that much. But one thing that does uh, kind of irritate me sometimes when people walk around and talk about being entrepreneurs but they're not exposed to risk mm. and entrep- being an entrepreneur for me is equal to taking a lot of risk that's kind of the 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 binary definition for me entrepreneurs are at risk they're at harm's length if you're not you are not an entrepreneur sounds harsh but that's my view on it mm. um you can have an entrepreneurial mindset, mm-hmm. but you're not an entrepreneur. If the, how much money is you and your family losing if it goes south? Mm-hmm. Interesting. You, so that's uh, and what was the how I think about building companies, and, and I love building companies. I mean, I think about it all the time, and it's uh, probably why I keep coming back to it. Um, it's so hard. It? It's oh, sorry. So, sorry, no. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's just really hard. And you never really get it right, you know, uh, honestly. And and I don't think you will ever get it right. Look at all the extremely successful, here's the word, entrepreneurs uh, in the world. Uh, I, I would say most of them are highly scrutinized by their staff. <laughs> and most of them would probably in behind shut doors be called he hasn't she he has no idea what she's doing 
They have no organizational experience. The, 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 the organization sucks. I mean, there was one man, what is, what is she doing? What is he doing? So that's just reality of it. It will never be perfect. You, and, and, and sometimes you have moments of being a good leader and doing something right and then kind of enjoy them. And then <laughs> because, then, because then you have a couple <laughs> of moments when you feel like you're, you yeah. suck. You know, you've done, you're a bad leader. You've, you've organized incorrectly. You've been unclear and everything that you shouldn't be. So I think building companies is so hard, but so fun and satisfying and uh, it's never going to be done. Thank you for that. And thank you, Matthias, for a very philosophical and interesting question. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to thank our sponsors, Yada Yada, who edits every episode with style, I would say, and Story of You that uh, came up with this uh, podcast thing together with us. So great, you guys. You are awesome. And uh, I would like to know uh, who else you would like me to invite to this podcast. Maybe someone you want to listen to yourself. Right, so I missed to prepare that question, but there's there there there's not as tricky as the songs. <laughs> um, I would love to hear hear Fredrik Skanser from Funnel. I don't know if he's already been. Uh, no, not yet. Fredrik I would love is... to hear him because I, I I think he's uh, an amazing uh, entrepreneur and leader. Very different personality than I to me, mm-hmm. but I like him a lot. I think we get along quite nicely. Okay, we have two funny questions. Now, one of them is very easy. Uh, how do I easily get contact with you? Is it LinkedIn or? Yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, there's only one person with my name, Ola Sarso. I'm really open, actually, to letting everyone in on LinkedIn. <laughs> Obviously, since yeah. I like reached out to you, I don't know if it was this week or last week, mm. but here we are today. Yeah, so, so. it actually works. I, can, I really like LinkedIn, actually. Yeah, it's a good thing. And uh, it's wonderful that you are as open and humble as you are. It's very inspiring for other wannabe entrepreneurs, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm going to hear that uh, many times in my life now. I don't know. I, okay. I totally agree with you, though. Okay. I totally agree with you. And okay, if I got to choose out in the sun, somewhere warm, uh, we are having that wonderful after work, after work drink in our hands. And this song comes on. One of them, all of your favorites. Which one are we listening to and uh, saying cheers and skålen? Have a nice weekend. First of all, I have to say this was the absolute worst question you could ever ask me because it's been consuming my mind for like since I got it uh, 24 hours ago. That's not that's what not very nice of you. <laughs> Terribly sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly sorry. So it was uh, like it destroyed my work day uh, and I couldn't sleep tonight because <laughs> I am completely. Um, this is obviously something that's uh, uh, very fun or very central for me. But I'll just go with um, uh, Good Life with Inner Circle, which is a kind of a cheesy house track from the 80s. When you hear it, you'll know it. Too. I don't know if you but it. It's just one of those that will lift up any situation. Do you want to hear it from the beginning or somewhere in the middle when it comes along? I think you, the reason why I chose that amongst the 11 contenders after many hours of... <laughs> Or is because it it starts like with a bang. Let me take you to a place I know you wanna go. It's a good life. 